0: Get it in here. Oh, I got one thing to say. This is when the big dogs come out. Stay on okay, the you so, Can't roll the big dogs. Yeah. Stay yeah. on the board. It's time. Live. Let's rock this place. Let's have some fun. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance tonight.
1: Diagnosis, prognosis,
0: osmosis.
1: Say what?
0: It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. The doctor is now in.
2: Good Wednesday to you, and glad you could join us. T.C. Martin Show, of course, streaming live wherever you may be. Tcmartinshow.com. And, of course, here live in Las Vegas. Today we continue on to update you on the latest news that we are getting out of Cincinnati at the... University Medical Center there in Cincinnati regarding Demar Hamlin, and we will update you on that today. Guest wise, Trevor Manich will join us. We'll talk to Trevor uh, regarding his thoughts on Demar Hamlin. Of course, Trevor, twelve years in the NFL, and of course national championship at BYU, and of course the fifteen-time Emmy Award winner at ESPN for his college football. Excellence. How's that? All right. Uh, So Trev will join us today like he normally does each and every Wednesday, and we will preview the national championship game between the Georgia Bulldogs and the TCU Horned Frogs. Looking forward to that coming up on Monday night and that game in SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. All right. We'll talk to Trev regarding that, get his thoughts. We'll start breaking on down. TJ Reeves will join us from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the sideline reporter there. And yes, the Buccaneers are comfortably in the playoffs. And I say comfortably because, well, they really don't have a meaningful game, even though their record is not that good. But their division is so bad that they have clinched already. So basically, Carolina, New Orleans, that game this weekend really doesn't mean much. There are a lot of games that don't mean much here in Week 18. I know the NFL was hoping for more meaningful games when you expand the playoffs to 14 teams, seven in each conference. But right now, you don't have a lot of meaningful games, and you've got about four or five games that don't have lines on them as well, too. Now, obviously, uh, regarding the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals, as we said yesterday, the NFL said they are not going to resume that game, and there is no plan right now to play that game or resume it anytime soon. I know a lot of people are saying, well, do you think they'll maybe back up the first week of the playoffs? Uh, Highly unlikely, but the NFL is just taking this one step at a time right now. First and foremost, they want to make sure that DeMar Hamlin is in good shape there in the hospital and that he can recover and he can recuperate. And I know that the Buffalo Bills right now, and not just the Bills, but probably the Cincinnati Bengals and a lot of other teams are really looking to hopefully DeMar Hamlin just, you know, improves, okay? And we'll give you the latest on his condition here in a minute because once a player or teams know that he is, say, out of the woods, so to speak, as far as he will continue to live, then that's when they start getting back to football mentally, and there's been a lot of instances instances in the past where guys have had severe injuries, they have been paralyzed or near paralyzed. And like we said, there's only been one death going back to nineteen seventy-one. You've you've had a death cause on the field, uh, for the NFL. But even when you you know, we've seen teammates who have died um outside of the playing field, it it kinda it kind of takes away from their mental focus. And that's exactly what we saw Monday night. So you're starting to see teams now get back to practice on Wednesday. Most teams, just about all NFL teams have Tuesday off. Okay. Tuesday is the traditional off day, unless you have a Saturday game, then your off day is Monday and then you're back at practice on Tuesday. But for the Bengals and the Bills, well, they're back at practice today. You're going to hear from Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. He held his press conference today And it's the first time that Zach Taylor has spoken. All right. So we will uh, dive into all of that today with our continuing coverage on DeMar Hanlon, the Buffalo Bills safety. Uh, The latest is this. He is still in the intensive care unit ICU at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. He continues to be sedated. Uh, Doctors say that he showed positive signs and improvement. Those are the words. Uh, they were, were coming out of the hospital. That the he has shown improvement and positive signs overnight. Uh, they will continue to monitor him, and this is big. And we talked about this, you know, yesterday, that the first 24 hours are critical to determine if he can recover. All right. Uh, family members are at the hospital with Demar Hamlin. Uh, we know that uh there were some bills teammates that went to the hospital on monday night before they boarded the plane and everyone is is concerned about De- demar hamlin um we know that um josh reed said he had spoke to demar hamlin's uncle and demar was originally on 100% oxygen he's now down to 50% oxygen Um uh, says the family is hanging in there he wanted to thank bills fans bengals fans and and continued prayers uh, from everyone that's uh from Josh Reed. So, uh and Josh Reed a teammate of DeMar Hamlin with the Buffalo Bills. Um recap again what happened in case you you missed this and again we talked about it and everyone's been talking about it uh from Monday night. You know, DeMar Hamlin made a tackle on Cincinnati wide receiver T Higgins and after getting up he fell backwards. He collapsed seconds later uh when they saw that he wasn't moving. That's when medical personnel rushed onto the field. The medical personnel restored his heartbeat on the field. He laid there for approximately 10 minutes before he was carted off uh, by an ambulance. And uh, the medical personnel on the scene there in Cincinnati saved his life, at least for the time being. Now, we have not really heard from a lot of people. Uh, The hospital has been tight-lipped. Um, The Bills representatives have been tight-lipped. I don't know if I mentioned this on the show yesterday. Uh, Steve Tasker has been a regular on my show for, for a long, long time, going back many, many years. Steve Tasker, a former Buffalo Bills uh, player. You probably remember him. Uh, just phenomenal wide receiver, special teams player, and Steve Tasker, part of the national media for the better part of the last 20 years. Steve Tasker has worked for CBS. He worked for NBC. Uh, prior to that, Steve Tasker is, uh, currently part of the Buffalo Bills, you know, broadcast team. I reached out to Steve yesterday and he had wanted to come on, but he said the Buffalo Bills, um, team had said they w- would prefer, uh, no, um, media appearances by anyone that, uh, is part of their team right now. And I respect that. And I told Steve that totally understand that. And so when the Buffalo bills will clear for him or, or anyone else to, to come on and speak, Steve Tasker said he'd be more than happy to come back on. And it's been a while since I've had Steve on the show. And, you know, usually we'll have people on, uh, as far as relevance goes and obviously the Buffalo Bills have been very irrelevant football team. So uh, Steve Tasker, uh, I will reach out to him again here. And as soon as we get, you know, more positive news again, do not want to bombard him and other people within that organization. And again, you have to respect uh, their wishes with that. But uh, but all that being said, we did hear from Jordan Rooney, who is a friend of Damar Hamlin, and he is a business partner. Now you are well aware, and we touched upon it yesterday about his GoFundMe that he had set up long ago. It is now over $6.6 million that people have donated. These are fans. These are friends. These are NFL brothers. These are fellow NFL teams that have contributed. And, uh, so, and this is, you know, for his, uh, you know, charity that he does, does a fantastic job there in Buffalo. And for a lot of people that don't know who Demar Hamlin is, you know, he was a six-round draft pick out of the University of Pittsburgh. So obviously that community, uh, very tight with him, supportive of him. Mike Tomlin, you heard the audio we played from Mike Tomlin yesterday on the show. And if you didn't, you can go back to yesterday's show and, and hear that. Aaron Rodgers' comments, all of that, but Mike Tomlin said he's known Demar Hamlin since he was 12 years old. Of course, Mike Tomlin, longtime Pittsburgh Steelers coach, and Hamlin playing at the University of Pitt. So um, we're hearing more and more people come out and uh, and speak up. But uh, today we got to hear from Jordan Rooney outside of the hospital. He's very careful on what he wanted to say, but he did want to bring attention that Demar Hamlin's uh, condition has improved. The news that we will share today is um, we've got some some positive steps in the right direction.
0: So still has a long ways to go, but in terms of what the doctors want to see, um, it's positive. I, I know you can't get too deep into that because they haven't even shared all yes. of that, but what does positive steps, what does that look like from what they've told you? To be honest, that's all I got. That Just that in terms of what they were looking for and hoping to see overnight, they got they got that. They
3: got what they needed.
2: All right and that is uh Jordan Rooney is being interviewed by ESPN reporter outside of the University Medical Center there in Cincinnati uh again he's a business partner uh and friend of DeMar Hamlins saying that you know what the doctors have seen that those are positive signs there are certain things that doctors want to see while he is sedated and again those first 24 hours are critical whether he can recover from this or not Uh, We talked to Dr. Christina Madison yesterday, and she had told us that for an injury like this, the percentage of survival is anywhere from 25 to 40 percent. And that is very consistent with what we've heard from other medical personnel uh, regarding the situation and doctors who have been monitoring this situation. And again, you got to remember that the hit that he took here, it was not your garden variety, wrap-up tackle, okay? He was going to tackle T. Higgins. T. Higgins, like many wide receivers, like many running backs, lowered his head, his shoulder, and was trying to drive forward for extra yards. They both went down, but it was the impact of the contact that struck DeMar Hamlin in the chest area and as Christine Madison said or and other doctors have said, it's if you hit someone at the right spot there in the timing, the arrhythmia of their heartbeat, their heart rate, it can cause you to blackout, pass out, faint. And that's exactly what happened. As I mentioned, you know, seconds later, he fell backwards and was unconscious. His heart stopped. Medical personnel revived him on the spot. You know, within minutes. So, again, kudos and congratulations for the medical personnel that saved his life. At least for the time being. And given DeMar DeMar Hamlin an opportunity to live here. So, these are good signs. He's still sedated. Um, Still on a breathing ventilator. As we just said, per Josh Reed and the uncle of DeMar Hamlin. And... Instead of 100% utilizing that ventilator, he's 50%. And that's, if you've known anyone or any of our listeners have been through that before, you know how that goes. They try to vent you off of that ventilator, kind of weed you off slowly but surely so he can breathe on his own. And then once he can breathe on his own, then will con- they will conduct further tests. But there are certain tests that they can do. They can monitor within the 24 hours. That's why they wanted to use that 24 hour period. It's kind of a cooling period to let, you know, the heart, the brain, kind of cool and calm down so they can uh, perform other tests. But hopefully um, the DeMar Hamlin will be conscious very, very soon. But these are good signs. And remember, 25 to 40% survival rate of this. Man, it's not real good. But it is positive news that we're hearing out of the University Medical Center there in Cincinnati regarding DeMar Hamlin. Cincinnati Bengals head coach Zach Taylor spoke for the first time today after this did not speak after the game did not speak. It is you know normal press conference that they have the day after the game, but uh he did speak today, and this is Zach Taylor talking about what he witnessed and what he felt that would transpired. On the field Monday night, because you got to remember they were he was out there, not exactly clear because he was on the opposite side of the field with his team, seeing the Demar Hamlin went down, seeing the medical personnel come over, everyone was trying to give Demar Hamlin space, especially the the Bengals players, but the Bills players were around there, and kind of shielding the cameras from Monday night football and everything else that was going on there and uh so he talks uh today about everything that he saw and experienced. We'll start with this. Here is Zach Taylor, just basically giving thanks to everyone.
3: You know, our thoughts and prayers are with, uh, DeMar Hamlin and his family and his loved ones and, um, his teammates, the coaches, the entire bills organization. We've always had a great deal of respect for them. Um, I think that's grown much deeper, obviously, um, with what we've all seen transpire. And, um, so certainly we're pulling for DeMar, uh, hoping for the most positive outlook, and uh, looking forward to him seeing all the support that he's getting from um, his team, his community, um, people around the league, his family. Um, That'll be a great day when he's able to see that. Uh, I also want to point out a lot of other people that that I thought just did an outstanding job handling the situation the other day. Um, You know, all the medical professionals that were involved, the Bill's trainers, the Bill's doctors, um, our trainers, our doctors – the paramedics, the emergency response team—I um, thought that they were on it. They were composed. Um, it was a—it was obviously a complicated situation on the field that everybody was trying to process. And for me personally, being down there and seeing the composure that everybody involved had. Um, you know, obviously not knowing how, how the situation is gonna unfold, I was led to believe that it was gonna be positive because of how they handled it. And I think that's important to point out that they were prepared and uh that they gave DeMar the best chance. Um so that that was that was well done by all of them and uh, I was really impressed and, and thankful for, for um, the work they'd put in to be ready for moments like that and the way they handled it, I think was important for everybody to see.
2: Zach Taylor, very calm, cool collective uh, in, in speaking you know, today about that situation. Of course, situation that he has never uh, been part of before. Uh, he continued on uh, talking about the medical team and the medical team, uh, what they did and how quickly they reacted uh, was phenomenal. And then the hospital staff there uh, as well, too. So again, just because this is a Buffalo Bills player, Zach Taylor Cincinnati Bengals, this is happening in their hometown on their field, very very much concerned.
3: I also want to um point out University Hospital, you know the doctors and the nurses that are over there helping Demar and his family uh the security over there that's doing their best to to uh allow them to maintain their privacy, obviously, as an organization, we're doing everything we can to support them, um uh, but at the same time give them privacy and so um, I think that's something you've really seen both communities rally around. Buffalo, Cincinnati, uh, the NFL community really, really rally around uh, DeMar and the Bills. And um, we're doing everything we can to support them and make them feel comfortable. But at the same time, make sure that they have privacy as a family to um, to manage this situation. And it
2: seems uh, that everything from that aspect is going well. Family is there. Uh, we have heard that the family is uh, – their utmost uh, thoughts for the care that DeMar is getting uh and the NFL as well, too, being very, very supportive about keeping out in the privacy. And, you know, when you have these type of situations, the, the media personnel that are that are all over. And they had said that the, the media has kind of, you know, cut back a little bit. There are a lot of media people that are out there on Monday night afterwards. But uh that kind of, you know, was minimal a little bit yesterday. And obviously people, you know, want to know what's going on, but, uh, uh, seems like the communication has been very, very good from the medical staff and the people there at the University Medical Center there in Cincinnati. Uh, Zach Taylor talking today about the officials. And we saw Sean Smith and his crew, um, be very, I guess, vigilant. I guess you may want to say just, you know, trying to, um, be calm and cool during Monday night's, uh, situation. Uh, having conversations, you know, with both head coaches and the team, whether that game was going to get played or not. Ultimately, you know, that call does reside within the NFL, and we know that they were in communication with Roger Goodell. Here's Zach Taylor talking about the officials and the way they handled the situation Monday night.
3: Uh, I, I also want to point out the officials, Sean Smith and his his crew. I thought did a tremendous job. Um, handling a, a situation in which there was no rule book. There's no protocols for how to handle that. Uh, I thought that they, they really, um, did a good job of, of, um, everyone that was on the field could, could feel the seriousness of the situation. And, and they did a great job of, of stepping back and, and asking uh, the bills what they needed, us what we needed, uh, giving us the space to process. Um, I, I thought that they just did a tremendous job of, of allowing all that to unfold and, and everybody getting to the decision that ultimately was to get to but I, I thought that Sean and his his crew um, really really managed a difficult situation in which there's really not much precedence that I've ever been a part of uh, I thought that they handled that really well
2: Sean Smith one of the better referees in the NFL and again you know just watching it from afar on TV you could just kind of see that they were just kind of letting things play out but they needed to communicate with the coaches and communicate with the league. Um, again, unprecedented uh, this situation. Uh, Zach Taylor talking about Bill's head coach Sean McDermott and what Sean McDermott was going through.
3: And and again, just Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean and the entire organization. Um, you know, their, their support in the moment for Demar and you could just see how that team felt about him and the impact he has on them. Um, you know, just, just, uh, was class all the way. I, I always knew Sean, um, n- not, you know, we, we didn't, we never worked together, never, never had a meal together or anything, but always had respect for him, but seeing the way that he handled his team, um, you know, just deepened that respect for him and, and verified everything that I always thought he was about as a man. And, um,
2: there is uh Zach Taylor talking about, uh, Sean McDermott, their relationship. And again, you know, there was a lot of communication between, uh, Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott, the coaches that night. And uh, Zach Taylor talks about how he went over there and just, you know, wanted to give their condolences and just make sure they're okay. Here is Taylor talking about exactly what they were dealing with on the sidelines and how it happened Monday night.
3: You know, just to kind of give context of, of what we were dealing with on the field as it happened, Um, cause I've, I've watched the TV copy just to kind of see what everybody else saw. And if you think about it, we're on the field. We've been in that situation many times where there's an injury to an opponent and you give them the space to operate. And, and, um, so as our team made it on the field, and you could see the reaction uh, of the players that were out there, and how they were impacted—mostly their guys, a couple of our guys—you could you could quickly see the seriousness of the nature that it was different than anything we'd experienced. And during those moments, uh, all everyone's hoping for is the best case scenario with Demar. No one's processing. Whether this is a game is going to be played or delayed, that, that's not going through anyone's mind. I, I've seen that, I've seen the TV copies now and everybody else was kind of forced to think that way because, because they're not down there in the moment. Um, so people get a chance to process what's going to happen. That, that never crossed any of our minds. It was just, how is this player going to, going to be okay? So then when the, the, uh, ambulance starts to pull away is really the first moment anyone gets to even think about anything. And, and in that moment, um, you know, it came together with Sean McDermott and the officials kind of led the way there. And, and it was determined, you know, just to just to take a few moments as teams to, to just process what had happened and separate and go to our sidelines and uh, just take a few moments to process because no one had had that chance. You know, I, I look at Sean and those players. All they were doing was looking at their teammate and their brother and, and hoping for the best there. That's the only thing going through their minds. I, I didn't say a word to anybody the entire time. Except for TB, um, who who knew Damar, and and I could tell that he was going through it. So I could just see the expressions on Jordan Poyer's face and Josh Allen's face and TB's face, and so you're processing just uh, um, you know how how uh, awful the situation was. We separated his teams. Uh, the officials again did a great job of coming over to me and saying, "Hey, um, you know they're they're still trying to process this moment here, uh, Coach McDermott and their team." And so um, instead of playing telephone on separate sidelines. The decision was made just to go over there and, and make sure we're all, you know, talking together. And and I won't disclose um, any of the private conversations Sean and I had, except for this. When I got over there, uh, the first thing he said was, I need to be at the hospital tomorrow. And I shouldn't be coaching this game. And so that, to me, provides all the clarity. Because there, there was no uh, unprecedented is the word that gets thrown out a lot about this situation, because that's what it is. Uh, but in that moment, he really... Uh, showed who he was that that all his focus was just on Demar and being there for him, being there for his family at the hospital, and and at that point, um, I think everybody everything trended in the in the direction it needed to trend, and the right decisions were made there. But um, again, just just uh, the way that I, I really felt Sean McDermott led in that moment for his players. He was there for his players. He, he processed the right way, which was incredibly difficult, and. Uh, and really helped us get to the the solution that we needed to get to. Um, I think was was really good. So um, that's 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 really um, all I have about situation. Um, again, the situation. Again, the thoughts and prayers should be with Demar and his family. The support with the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, we've got people on our team that are affected that knew. DeMar from high school, Caledon Tyler Boyd played with him. Plenty of guys around him in the offseason that had relationships with them. um, So we'll continue to support those guys and our players and our team. Uh, But again, a lot of support goes to the Buffalo Bills and and DeMar and his family.
2: Well handled today by Zach Taylor, the Cincinnati Bengals head coach, uh, talking about what actually transpired from his perspective there on the sidelines. uh, The conversations that he was having with Sean McDermott. Uh, Probably the the biggest thing that sticks out when he says that Sean McDermott says, I need to get to the hospital for tomorrow. Says it right there. And again, what we're hearing today, we didn't get that kind of coverage from ESPN, from their game. Hearing this for the very first time and it kind of really takes you down to the field in the moment of all of this a moment that no one thought that they would be going through when they suited up for that football game. And what happened with five and a half minutes to go in the first quarter, a lot of people were saying, what took the NFL so long to make a decision about postponement? Because (laughs) nobody really knew what was happening and what had transpired and what, what was happening with DeMar Hamlin. He was taken away in an ambulance And again, the NFL has a schedule that they have a lot invested, obviously, in this game. And they wanted to show that they were compassionate about the situation, but they didn't want to make a snap decision. They wanted to get as much information as they possibly could. And I think what you saw here on Monday night, you saw both teams and both sidelines calm, cool. Nobody panicked. There was raw emotion on the sidelines, especially with the Buffalo Bills and their teammate, seeing their brother down on the field and not exactly knowing what happened. Again, you got to remember, if you go back and you look at that play, when the contact happens with T. Higgins and DeMar Hamlin, he goes down, he comes right back up, and then a few seconds pass, and then he falls backwards. And people were just kind of walking back to their respective huddles, thinking, "Okay, well, you know he's gonna be okay, he's down and then finally, when he lay motionless and then the bill's medical personnel came over, then all of a sudden you say, "Wait a minute this is this serious? Oh, it is serious, and that's the way it looked from the field, that's the way it looked from television. nobody knew I mean again, this wasn't a a big time violent collision that we've seen and go oh my goodness turn your head you know whether it was a, a Joe Theisman broken leg other things of that nature nobody knew that he was suffering from cardiac arrest so i think the nfl is got a lot of heat in the last 48 hours on the way they handled this and not postponing the game immediately well they they wanted to to wait and see i know I don't know how many soccer fans we have here even though we talk soccer and we talk World Cup but if you go back to last year with the the Euro situation when the you know player that went down um and suffered the exact same thing that Demar Hamlin did people did not know how to react it's like okay um is he okay well his heart stopped now, he's able to make a full recovery, even come back and played in this year's World Cup. But it was very similar to me watching that live and watching this game Monday night live where fans in the stadium really didn't know. They hung around. The PA announcer didn't make an announcement for quite some time afterwards because they wanted to gather and and, and make that decision. Christian Eriksson, when he collapsed in that match against Finland, I mean, it was something else. And Christian Eriksen, the fine, uh, you know, uh, striker for for Denmark. Uh, and I remember watching that. And this was eerily similar. And we came back and, and we're, we're talking about that after it happened that day. This was a moment like that. And I didn't see anybody ripping FIFA. when they're talking about, okay, and, you know. They, they they took some time out and they're, you know, basically wanted to continue that game. Um, so NFL was just trying to do its its due diligence and once you make a decision, you gotta stick by that decision. And I think they've handled it. Uh, you know, all right. Will this game be made up? Who knows? Yeah. Um, will it have a factor in the playoff seedings? Yeah, it definitely will. And that's why You know, they were concerned about Delmar Hamlin, so don't think that they weren't. They were. But when you have raw emotions you're dealing with, you're dealing with something you've never seen ever before, and you've got your business that you have to to run before you send home 70,000 fans and your television network and say, we're going to try to do it again maybe another time. We're not sure when we're going to do it. And then you're going to try to have to try to reschedule a game. Then you're going to have to try to figure out, okay, how is this going to impact these two teams that are going to have one less game if that ends up being the case, which I think more than likely it will be. And as of right now, that, that looks it. Then there's going to be uh, a lot of questions that need to be answered with that. But right now, everybody is focusing on DeMar Hamlin's health. And just to restate, um, still sedated. They're in Cincinnati at the hospital, but there are positive signs, and he has shown signs of improvement, even though that he is still sedated. And again, I think that the biggest sign that you can look at, the brain function looks okay. Um, they're slowly but surely weeding him off the ventilator. For The oxygen was 100% up until earlier this morning. Now he's using 50% of uh, of the oxygen, and that means that he's breathing on his own, 50%. So hopefully he can be off the ventilator, they can continue to do uh, tests, and he can be on a full road to recovery. All right. All right. We come back. We are going to visit with Trevor Maddich. We'll get Trevor's thoughts on this, but we will also talk to Trevor regarding the college football playoff. The championship game is Monday night. That will be Exciting with TCU in Georgia. We've got that happening today. Also next hour, T.J. Reeves will join us from Tampa. We'll talk NFL Week 18. And then, of course, more updates uh, as the show progresses here today as we will continue to talk about uh, Damar Hamlin and uh, also the media coverage that has taken place regarding this. And uh, obviously, hot-button topics uh, with people anytime you're involving social media nowadays. Uh, so we'll give you some thoughts and what we're hearing uh, from From the broadcasting world as well. Some interesting thoughts from from people, personnel, and networks. But we continue on this uh, Wednesday edition of the T.C. Martin Show.
0: Hey, this is Robert De Niro, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. It's good.
2: All right, don't forget we'll be at the Westgate, our Friday home. Coming up this Friday, best bets and more. Our good friend Jay Schrader recovering from knee surgery. Jay may be showing up in a walker on Friday. I mean, you know, he's a gamer. You know, I don't think there's any any IL for Jay. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, be well, brother. I know you are. Uh, appreciate uh, the communication while uh, you're in the hospital. There, it is so amazing how quickly that uh, that you know, the the surgeries go. Like with for for these hips and knees and just just everything. And it's. It's crazy. You know, he, he got, uh, did the surgery by a robot.
4: I was going to say, aren't they all robots now? Basically it's a robot. Yeah. everything is robotic.
2: Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you saw my, my response to him when he was talking about, Hey, all, everything all good with the Dr. Baker and Mako the robot. And my response was, does the robot call balls and strikes? Come on, sure. You're a little slow there. A little slow. Hey. I, no, it, it that was, was a good one. It was a good one, but it was like uh, uh, yeah. uh, you, know. you know. All right. Uh, here's a guy that uh, unfortunately he's been through many uh, some surgeries and uh, procedures himself, and uh, he can uh, he can vouch for getting back on the job very quickly. The one and over the 15 time Emmy Award winner, our very good friend Trevor Maddich. What's going on,
4: Trev? Hey TC, yeah, I uh <clears throat> I've had a few uh a few surgeries. I've got a lot of metal in my body. Um anesthesia is my close friend. Uh and and yeah, I get I get the process of fixing damage. Mm-hmm. Trevor,
2: obviously DeMar Hamlin, the situation and the player on our minds, we've been covering it uh, just like everyone has for, you know, the past 48 hours or so. I want to get your take. um, If you're watching the game live, and if you were watching the game live, um, what were you thinking um, when you saw this?
4: Yeah, it was it was scary. And the the two things that were scary in watching it live was first of all to see him collapse. Uh, actually, three things. Then he didn't move. And then when doctors and trainers rushed out there, they were performing CPR. And then I noticed the reaction of the players that were around and they were devastated. That's something that's very rare. Players tend to, to kind of have a callous view towards injury. And it's not because of indifference. It's sort of a defense mechanism. You don't want to identify too close with injuries. And so somebody gets a bad injury. It's like, Oh, that's awful, man. I'm, I'm there for you, bro. And man, you're moving on um with your thought process. Cause you don't want to dwell on it. Um And, uh and, Players get really good. When I say injury, I'm not talking about what happened to DeMar Hamlin. I'm talking about normal injuries. What happened when I saw those players in the way that they were just utterly devastated? It told me that what they saw on the field was different from what we normally see. Generally, we have a good uh, feel for you know kind of what's going on with an injury. I mean, you might have a guy sitting down and you know doesn't seem to be in a lot of pain. He's going to be fine. You might have a guy on the ground who's in a lot of pain but he's probably going to be fine, right? It's just, he's got to get through it and all that. And okay, it's part of the game. Then you have another level where you'll see doctors and trainers stabilizing a neck and then putting a neck brace on. And then here comes the cart and they take him out, you know, and that's super scary. You know, you're looking for things like, did he move his hands? Did he move his feet? And that gets to you, but you keep playing after, after everything's said and done. I mean, that happened. I think it was the LSU Purdue bowl game. Uh, where a Purdue, Purdue player was stabilized and, and taken off the field in a cart. It was a, a really scary moment. And then they finished the game. Hmm. Trevor. But you're not used to seeing players. I'm sorry, TC. No, you, no, no, you're no, not fast, used please. to seeing players hmm. lay as if they're lifeless. And in this case, it looks like he was lifeless before they resuscitated him. Hmm. You're not used to seeing that. So the normal reaction to to seeing a player on the ground was some sort of injury where you kind of gauge what's going on. And that's probably not serious. Oh, it's probably pretty serious. Oh, man, this looks scary. None of that applied to this because he looked lifeless. And then, you know, it's been reported that there were like nine minutes of CPR. Players don't see that done to players on the field who are lying on the ground injured. That's not done. And so all I could see what was on, what was on TV but the the to look at the players who were there and could see it and could hear what was going on and had a good view of DeMar on the ground and what they were doing, to see how devastated they were, was something that I can't remember ever seeing. And that's what stood out to me as I watched it unfold.
2: We know it's a violent game. You've seen, we all seen severe injuries. And like you said, you've never seen anything like this. I don't think any player has or coach has seen anything quite like this but for a guy like yourself played 12 years in the league and you're in the trenches and as we know there are almost injuries on every play when you're in the trenches when you're an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman and then when you see someone like you know whether it was like a Joe Thyssen situation or something this gruesome like that, and that's not life-threatening, but man, that's gruesome. And in this situation, like you said, well, you didn't know it was life-threatening at first, but then now as time passes on, he's not breathing, you see the ambulance. Okay, now you're thinking, okay, wow, this could be life-threatening. This game did not continue, and we understand that. But as a player, how do you... You continue playing, and do you find yourself? And again, I know you haven't been through this specifically, but you've been through some harrowing injuries where I'm sure that you are so concerned about your teammate, or maybe it's a guy on the other side of the ball who maybe you knew, or you, or you do know, or maybe played college with, or whatever it is, and 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 you feel for him, but you know, okay, I got to be the combatant again. I got to be that gladiator again. How do you deal with that as a player?
4: You compartmentalize. Again, setting aside the situation with DeMar Hamlin, when you look at just normal injuries, even gruesome injuries, you compartmentalize. And you understand that you need to continue to play. And so you do. And once you get back into the flow of the game, you know your adrenaline tends to carry you beyond how concerned you were about that injury temporarily until the game's over. Then you're back to being focused on that again. Again, not DeMar, but I'm talking about just, in general, because you understand that that, that's part of the game and you have to keep going on. I mean, there's been many times where you've got a guy that's injured in practice and he's on the ground being attended to by the trainers. And all they'll do is move practice to a different part of the field and keep going. Right. And so it's that compartmentalization. And I think part of that too, is the compartmentalization of violence that you learn in football because you know, the violence in football is not, wanton violence it's very tightly controlled it's very disciplined it only happens in a very short time period after the snap and then it stops with the whistle and so you know you compartmentalize the violence within football and you don't take it into your everyday life unless you're a person of really bad character of which there are several you know every year in football that that can't handle uh, themselves off the field but generally speaking that's compartmentalization too I mean playing football in every way is compartmentalization you know, you, you 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 train to smash somebody, drive them into the ground, like it, then line up and do it again, right? right? Well, that's not normal life. You compartmentalize that part. And so the injury part of it, you also compartmentalize. This goes back to your original question. How do you deal with an injury? Not the Mar Hamlin kind of situation, but a regular injury that looks severe, maybe even gruesome. You learn to compartmentalize and you move forward. It's, it's, it's baked into what you do.
2: Mm-hmm. Trevor Match uh, joins us, uh, ESPN college football. Of course, like I said, long time player in the NFL. Um, appreciate your thoughts uh, on that, Trevor. And I know that it's, it's eerie. It's scary for anyone to watch, but especially someone who has played like you've played or any player for that matter. And this is their career. It's, uh, you got to look at, even if you don't know that player, you kind of feel like, okay, man, this is, this is part of the fraternity, right?
4: Oh, yeah. It it doesn't matter what team you're on, because everybody knows you could be on their team next year or they could be on your team. You know, you during the three hours of a football game, you hate the guy wearing a different color jersey. You have to. But before the game and after the game, you don't, because that's part of the compartmentalization. And again, looking at those players, I knew and I think most most players watching it knew that that game would not continue. You know, and if anybody speculated that it might, it was like, no, it's not because they just weren't able to go. And I think the coaches recognized that. And it wouldn't have mattered if the NFL had said, okay, guys, warm up, we need to finish this game. They would not have done it. They would not have continued the game, because this is a, a completely different situation.
2: And this looked like a a normal football play, doesn't Even though it's not the garden variety, you know, uh, wrap around, tackle someone like you were taught, you know, going back to Pop Warner back in the day. But this is what we see with the NFL now. Everybody wants to, you know, lower their head. And if, if you're a receiver or running back, you're going to lower their head. And I know a lot of people are giving T. Higgins, you know, a hard time about, well, maybe he caused this. No, I mean, he was just trying to gain some extra yardage. And we see defenders all the time throwing body blocks instead of wrapping up and tackling. But again, this is, this, this was kind of, it wasn't a violent hit, but it, you could see that there was, there was, you know, uh, the impact, uh, between these two players. And it was almost kind of awkward that it almost like wasn't a tackle by Damar Hamlin. It was, it was more of just a, a collision that just hit him in the chest at the, it, it, the the wrong place at the wrong time, or the way the heart was beating, the arrhythmia, and that sort of thing. I think we've we all kind of understand that now. But you know, when you see just the tackling and, and the physicality and the violence, the way this game is played and taught now, Trevor, what are your thoughts moving forward?
4: Well, the game is played and taught with less dangerous violence than it was in the past. It used to be that defensive linemen could do the head slap on a pass rush; they could right. just they could just smash the an offensive lineman right in the ear hole and hit him in the head as hard as they could as they as they threw a pass rush. Well, they got rid of that. You know, targeting now is a foul in college and in NFL. And so they're taking some of these hits out of it that are dangerous, not just for the player being hit, but for the player hitting. I mean, targeting protects the defensive player as well. Because if you lower your head and hit with the crown of your helmet, you're as likely to injure yourself as you are the offensive player that you're trying to hit. They've taken that out. They changed the kickoff so that there are far fewer collisions on kickoffs now because a, a disproportionate percentage of concussions used to happen, <clears throat> excuse me, on kickoff coverage. So they took that out of it. I know in college, I think in the NFL, but I know in college they've taken away blindside blocks. Right. I mean, I got a concussion in the NFL because I was covering a punt. And the returner broke up the sideline and I had to sprint as hard as I could and, and throw all caution to the wind in terms of who might hit me to try to get to the cutoff point. And sure enough, here came a guy blind side hit me. And I tell you what, I was, I was surprised that I got off the field on the right side of the field where my team was. That's how, that's how loopy I was. Right. Well, they've taken that out now. You can shield somebody on blindside blocks, but you can't hit them. You can't go below the waist in certain circumstances. Now, football has done a lot to take some of the the kinds of hits that are more likely to cause injury out of the game. And I think that that has really helped. This particular play, like you said, TC, this was not a routine tackle. This was less than that. It, was, it just wasn't that big of a deal. And from a standpoint of, what you would expect the ramifications of that tackle to be. Now it turned out to be massive. We don't know why yet, and I think it's important to to withhold judgment as to what the diagnosis is until we hear it from his own doctors. There's a lot of speculation out there. <clears throat> I think that's that's you know we we have to be careful to yeah. to not buy into some things. But um but football's become safer, much safer. And, you know, the, the concept that you risk your life every time you go out, it's probably more dangerous to drive to the stadium than it is to play in the game, truthfully. So, you know, I think football's done a good job with that. I think you have a different issue with uh parents and and their children, their, their so- young sons playing football and tackle football. You know, my belief is that, You know, I didn't start playing tackle football until my freshman year in high school. So I never had the opportunity to play Pop Warner as a little teeny kid. And, you know, my particular opinion about that, because I know there's going to be a lot of parents that will be completely freaked out by this. You know, my opinion on that is that it's probably good for, you know, for young kids to not play full tackle football, full pads until they get into seventh and eighth grade, maybe even freshman year in high school. I'm not a doctor. I can't say but it's not just because of, uh, um, you know, of, of injuries. It's that you don't learn to protect yourself properly. If you're a, if you're a little kid and you've got a big old football helmet on, your neck's not strong enough to handle that helmet and to make hits with it. So you end up with that helmet kind of way off to the side because you can't properly, you know, hit a guy with your face mask like you will when you, you've grown up and you've got some, um, you know, some development in your skeleton and in your, your musculature and your neck. That's how, that's how you're supposed to do it. So you learn bad habits because you're getting your head way out of the way. That exposes you to other kinds of injuries, for goodness sake. So, you know, I think parents will be looking at this as to whether or not they should play football, uh, tackle football at all, or when. And I think that's a legitimate discussion.
2: All right. He is Trevor Maddich uh, talking about uh, the DeMar Hamlin situation and the physicalness here uh, in both college football and the NFL. Trevor, we got a championship game on Monday night that i uh, greatly looking forward to. I want your take. TCU, Georgia, quickly, what you saw in both semifinal games. It was the best college football Saturday that I can remember. Definitely the best two semifinal games that we've ever seen. And I don't know about you, but I, I think we're going to get a great football game Monday night.
4: Yeah, I think we will. Those, that's, that's what a day of college football that was. Both of those victories were deeply flawed, though. I can't remember seeing Georgia's defense play with such reckless disregard for basic assignments. Right. As what they put out there against Ohio State. I mean, some of the biggest plays for the Buckeyes offense was C.J. Stroud running and scrambling. And sometimes he would scramble to throw. Other times he would scramble to um to gain yards, which he did with like a 26-yard scramble at the end, which set him up for their attempt at a game-winning field goal, that occurred because Georgia's defense just lost contain. I mean, they 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 would have contain and then decide, no, I'm not going to contain the pocket anymore. I'm just going to go inside. And Stroud would see the opening and he would take off outside. You know that that 26-yarder or so that got him down into field goal range. That was because the Georgia pass rusher that was over the right guard got himself washed way upfield, and there was a massive hole there. So Stroud was like, okay, I'll go, I'll go run through there. And it almost cost them the game, but they were able to come back and win. And that's easily correctable for the Bulldogs. I don't expect them to do that again against TCU with Max Duggan, at quarterback, or so they'll get completely torched. For TCU it was flawed because of the way that, that Michigan played and was coached. I mean, TCU won that game by six points, but J.J. McCarthy, the Michigan quarterback, threw two interceptions that were returned for touchdowns, two pick sixes, and Michigan had driven three times inside the five-yard line, and on those three drives, there were others too, but these three particular ones, they came away with three points, three times inside the five. Part of that was poor execution. Part of it was good play by TCU's defense, but some of it was coaching malpractice. When it comes to play calling, I mean, malpractice, just inexplicable offensive play calling down there inside the five-yard line. And so, I mean, really trying to outthink yourself as a coach and end up hurting the team. So, you know, if Michigan hadn't handed it to TCU for a variety of ways, in a variety of ways, I don't know that TCU would have won that game. But the Horned Frogs took advantage of the mistakes that Michigan made. They didn't make those mistakes themselves, and they won the game. It's just that I, I, I can see where Georgia's mistakes that they overcame to win it are easily correctable by the Bulldogs. I don't see that TCU can expect the same kind of, of horrific play calling and two pick sixes because of poor quarterback play, essentially, uh, that Georgia will gift to them so it's going to be a tougher time for the horn frogs to be able to win this game.
2: Yeah, i think a lot of people are thinking okay well georgia you know they they're going to get back to being georgia we're going to see the defense but again you got to remember I mean, against lsu in the sec championship game they gave up over 500 yards in passing and in the they, air, in, yeah. in, in, in 500 yards you know, again here it will, you know, a, a th- we saw a 1000 yards of offense in both of these games. It, it, it's crazy right. Trevor, but you know, I say you cannot sleep on TCU. I mean, this is not a Cinderella story. This is a team that is going to have a lot of guys that are going to be playing on Sundays, you know, next year and the year after as well too. How much of a shot do you give TCU in this game?
4: I think they have they have a puncher's chance. Part of the reason is their their offense. Their wide receiver room is sneaky good. It's one of the best in the countries, like Ohio State's, like LSU's, that we just saw light up the Georgia secondary in the last two games that the Bulldogs played. The um, difference between Ohio State, though, and TCU is at quarterback, where Max Duggan is a much more effective and efficient runner than C.J. Stroud is. And even though C.J. had some good plays on the ground, Max Duggan, is, they're going to scheme for him. They have some of those plays on the ground. So their offense has the ability to create matchups that they want because they have so many skilled players that are so good in different ways. They've got a couple of wide receivers that are big, tall guys, 6'4", 6'5", 215. You can cover them, but they're going to go get the ball anyway. They've got another couple of wide receivers that are among the fastest people in America that are electric after the catch, and you got to cover them over the middle with your safety somehow, right? And so all these things happen. The other reason that TCU has a puncher's chance is their defense. That 3-3-5, a lot of people thought that Michigan would just smash it because there's only three defensive linemen on the field, three middle-sized guys, the linebackers, and then five defensive backs. But it's not that easy because they don't just stand in front of you and let you hit them. They move. The linebackers fire gaps. The defensive line slants and stunts, and that slows down the offensive line. So Michigan – didn't handle that very well. And TCU's defense looked really good against them until Michigan adjusted by throwing vertical over the top against their safeties. So I think Georgia will start that immediately. But I think the the Georgia running game, there's a good chance that TCU's going to throw some uh, uh, speed bump in front of that, and they're going to force Georgia to go to plan B, too. They'll just have to figure out how to stop that deep vertical middle passing game because Michigan was able to move the ball and score points when they started doing that against the Frogs.
2: All right. This is your Super Bowl, Trevor. I mean, you cover college football all year, ESPN. Uh, you got to be looking forward to Monday night. Where are you going to be? What are you going to be doing? Uh, We're doing radio, pregame, halftime, and postgame. Perfect, brother. All right. We'll be listening. I appreciate you, my man. Uh, We look forward to talking with you on Friday, hopefully, uh, for our best bets. Great. Thanks, D.C. I appreciate it. There he is. Great stuff, as always, each and every week, sometimes multiple times in a week. (laughs) Grateful for my friend Trevor Maddich, does a fantastic job. The 15-time Emmy Award winner with ESPN, talking about the humanistic side, the reality side of football, then talking a little college football because again, this is the Super Bowl. It's a national championship game Monday night, and we'll be talking a lot about that more here in the next couple of days, including with our show Friday at the Westgate at the Superbook and our best bets. TJ Reeves going to join us next hour. We've got news from UNLV today. Oh yeah, we've got a we've got a coach that is no longer there. We'll tell you about that when we come back as well, too. Continuing on, Wild Wednesday edition of the show. Glad to have you here. And he hits the upright again. That's impossible. The Bears' season's going to end
0: on a double doink. 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 Live in the entertainment capital of the world, That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know that idea. Diagnosis. <laughs> I had a not and that idea. Uh... Prognosis. You know, I take this
2: serious. Osmosis. Why, well, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's
0: not funny. It's not fu- nothing's funny. But don't you ever talk about me! Yeah, I don't know that idea. That's the result you won't get! It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh. The doctor is now in
2: hour number two here on this uh, Wild Wednesday edition. Trevor Mass joined us last hour. Make sure you go check that out up on uh, the website or wherever you find your podcast. T.C. Martin Show is out there whether it's Apple, it's Spotify, Twitch, or you name it. Go check it all out. Tell a friend, tell two if you have them. How's that? And of course, tcmartinshow.com. Yeah. Our college football championship preview is up on the website and uh, our interview with uh, Houston Nutt from yesterday. Go check that out. Yes. Good stuff there. All right. We continue on here in hour number two. Uh, We will continue to update you on Damar Hamlin and uh, any updates that we continue to get. Uh, Appreciate, again, the thoughts uh, that we had from Trevor Match in that last hour. And of course, you heard from Zach Taylor, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, head coach uh, as well. So we continue on with that. Uh, We'll have more thoughts uh, from a media perspective, uh, at the bottom of the hour. Right now we go out to Tampa and, uh, talk to our good friend TJ Reeves who, uh, yes, he mission accomplished. His Buccaneers are going to the playoffs. That means another playoff check for TJ Reeves. How long will it last? Well, we don't know. But anyway, we've got week 18 in the NFL. We're going to get on that and more. What is going on, my friend?
1: Always good to be with the doctor. Happy new year. And you're right. Mission accomplished. We're all about the postseason in Champa Bay. So let's get back there with Tom Brady and let's see what happens. I keep saying this doctor and we still have another week or so before we build up to the wild card opponent, either the Cowboys or the Eagles. But I'm putting this out there right now. You want to go against Tom Brady in a playoff game at Raymond James Stadium right now? Good luck. Good luck with what the man has shown. Even if behind Behind again last Sunday. Uh, I mean, he is going to find a way to beat you if it's within a one-score game. So we got plenty of time to talk about that. Always good to be with you. We should let the audience know that you and I have already been sparring today, getting ready for Three Dog Thursday tomorrow. I love having you on my show and my stuff so it's great to be on your show and your stuff doctor
2: there it is appreciate it. Uh, for those uh, would like to uh, see uh, us uh, handicap and jaw each other like uh, we love to do uh <laughs> three dog thursday uh bet us yep. tv uh, yep. uh, both uh, both our, our other homes me for the baseball season tj for for uh, football and, and uh some college basketball so i look forward to that for future three dog the Thursdays. and i love it the ben.
1: good news is there is some agreement there's some disagreement with you and I, but there is some agreement on Three Dog Thursday, and I got to check the show out when it's out tomorrow on Bet US TV.
2: You know what? I, I wish that uh, you had reached out to me. Was it last week or the week before? Because it was, uh, you know, because you know we do the best bets on the show here uh, on Friday, right. and right. I did mean, five of my six best bets on the pro and college side were all dogs, my friend. And I went five, I went five and one that week. And it was like, Oh man, this is a great dog weekend. But when we look at the underdogs in the NFL this weekend, man, it's, it's hard because teams are again, the lines are lower. Uh, and then the the ones that are very, very high are really teams are, are trying to for get good to, reason, for good for reason. reason. There you go. Cause the team, exactly.
1: the team's got nothing to play for. Yeah. Right, so right. it's, a,
2: it's a, it's a tough week if you're, If you're looking for dogs, no doubt, but but real quick talking about your, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know that you've been sweating bullets for every game that you're on the sideline there. And here it is, you know, really a must win situation last Sunday against the Carolina Panthers and the Panthers are, are winning this game for majority of it. And you got to be shaking your head. But then again, here comes fourth quarter. Here comes Brady. Now I'm with you, you know, Brady, you want to be on the Brady bandwagon here, you know, down, down the stretch here. But I just, you know, against a quality opponent, TJ, I just, it's coming to an end. And I said this last year, it is, and I feel it again. It's coming to an end for your sake. I hope the end, you know, comes later than sooner. But this, this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team has not put together 60 minutes of good football. That's a question for you. When was the last time they put together 60 minutes of solid football?
1: And the answer is Germany, not even on this yeah, planet, Doctor. There you go. Germany, they put 60 minutes together and put it on the Seahawks, and I would submit that the Seahawks really didn't recover from that and maybe haven't recovered from that. They were 6-2, and two, Seattle, when that game was taking place, and the Buccaneers jumped out 14 nothing in the first half. They were up 21-3 in the third, and that's that's honestly the best that they have played since all the way back to week one when they handled the Cowboys. And again, there will be plenty of time to talk about a Buccaneer Playoff game with the Cowboys. That's likely what's coming on, but, uh, what's going to, what's going to ultimately come out of this weekend and be the opponent? Again, it's unlikely that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to lose to the Giants who have nothing to play for. Uh, but if they do, then the door is open for Dallas to win the division by beating the commanders who have nothing to play for except to screw it up for Dallas. And then in that case, the Eagles would be the opponent. Nonetheless, the Bucks have already beaten the Cowboys and then probably the second best game was against the Seahawks. So now I will say this uh, for all for all the talk about you know losing records and quality of opponents. That Carolina team had won five games since Steve Wilkes took over. They were playing good football over the last month. They pulverized Detroit with their ground game the week before. And even though the Buccaneers fell behind fourteen nothing, they did a good job of stopping what Carolina does, which is run the football. They got back in the game and they eventually overtook them with the big plays. Uh, to Mike Evans. So, uh, we'll see what that translates into, into, uh, the postseason. Oh, and the other thing I was going to mention, when they came back and beat the Saints after playing awful on offense in that Monday night game for three quarters, they rallied and beat the Saints. The Saints have turned around and won three straight games now, uh, here at the end of the season since that Buccaneer loss and may beat Carolina to end with four. Again, the game means nothing for New Orleans and Carolina, but that's not a bad New Orleans team. That's not a three and 14 team. So they have won a couple of games late here against teams that were at least playing well that they had to win. And now let's see what that's going to translate to. Again, I'm just advising for all that are listening here in the, in the audience, don't be going against Tom Brady in a home playoff game in this scenario, especially when you've seen four last minute comeback wins here in the back half of the season.
2: Eight and eight for this team right now. And again, Mm -hmm. you know, some, some last minute wins. I mean, this team could maybe be sitting on four or five wins as crazy as that sounds. Because it's it's not a team that really went through a reclamation project. I mean they did from a coaching standpoint, uh they really went backwards with that. But for the most part, you still got Tom Brady, he's got Leonard Fournette, uh you still got Mike Evans and Mike Evans been downright you know phenomenal. But the
1: interior we've talked about this. The interior yeah. offensive line is not the same three guys. Three totally different guys. You don't have Gronkowski. you don't have the deep threat with Antonio Brown, who went off the deep end psychologically. Uh, And defensively, the best pass rusher, one of the best ones in the NFL, Shaq Barrett, has been hurt since October, out for the year with an Achilles. So it is not the same personnel, per se. Some of the pieces are still there. Yes, Uh, Levante David and Devin White are fantastic linebackers. So some of the pieces are there, but it's not the same team. And they've had struggles all year. We've talked about this on your show, with playing the same way, with running in predictable spots, throwing short passes, Being almost too easy and too convenient for defenses to figure them out. And that was the thing about Sunday. The difference on Sunday was Tom Brady realized we got to go down the field. We're losing. We're desperate to win this game. And when he began to air it out down the field, suddenly it's a 400 yard pass game. This was Nirvana, doctor. It's 30 points and 400 yards again from 45 year old Tom Brady. The first time we'd really seen that all year. So, uh, let's see what kind of adjustments they will make for the postseason. The only thing you can, say at this point is you wanted to get in the tournament. You wanted to have a puncher's chance. You're in. You're in, and now let's see what happens.
2: All right, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a meaningless game this week against Atlanta. What are you hearing? Does Brady play? What are they doing this weekend?
1: Well, he was adamant, and he has not addressed the media this week. He was adamant after the game on Sunday. He typically addresses the media on Thursday. He said, hey, there have only been two times when I've not played, and that's when I tore my ACL in the first quarter of game one in 2008 and never played again that season. And then the league told me I couldn't play four games a few years ago for the Patriots because of a suspension. And other than that, he hasn't missed a game. So his thing is he wants to go out there at least for the beginning of this one. How long will any starters play for the Buccaneers? There's nothing on the line. There's no playoff seating. The Atlanta Falcons have nothing to play for. This is one of several games where neither team has anything on the line in the game. So from my standpoint, from the cheap seats, how much do you want to risk injury playing in this game in the second quarter in Atlanta, especially when they're going to have young guys who are trying to impress their coaches, their GM to stick around on the team, and are trying to make plays and take somebody out with a big tackle or a big sack. You don't want any part of that. So maybe he plays a series. Maybe the starters play a series or two. I don't know. And don't expect a legitimate Straightforward, sincere answer from Todd Bowles and from a lot of these other NFL coaches that may tell you one thing about starters playing, and then, in the, and then in actuality, guys are inactive come Sunday and they're not playing even if they are active. So let's just keep an eye on that.
2: Yeah, the Buccaneers, a four point underdog at Atlanta against the Falcons. And like TJ said, the game means absolutely nothing. They just want to come out of here unscathed. And uh they know they will be playing um, you know, the following weekend uh in the playoffs. So again, so many of these games, very hard to handicap uh this final week of the NFL regular season. But what we do have, TJ, is a meaningful, very meaningful, very, uh, big time game Monday night in college football. Now you, uh, also spend a lot of your Saturdays, uh, broadcasting these, these college football games and we've got TCU and Georgia, uh, looking forward to this. We had the best college football Saturday that I could ever remember of the two semifinal mm. games, the best that we've ever seen and. The odds makers here in Vegas have put up a big number of 13 and a half. It came down to 13. Now we're seeing 12 and 12 and a, a half. They're getting nothing but TCU money here. But, you know, many of the bookmakers were afraid to to put like an eight or a nine on this game because they figured they are going to get an avalanche of bulldog money. So, again, from the bookmaker standpoint, you want to try to get two-way money. If we are handicapping this game... For the last game or the last two games that each team has played, you have to think this this line is out of proportion. It looks like TCU. Yes. And both of these teams, we saw both games generate over a thousand yards in offense each game on Saturday. It's gonna be great, man. I think it's good. And uh give me give me your take about what you expect to see between Georgia and TCU Monday night.
1: Well, from the TCU standpoint, they were so physical against Michigan, and Michigan was not able to run the ball against them like we thought that they would be able to. Uh, And they got the two pick sixes, which helped. You had Jim Harbaugh, who I don't know if he was trying to call plays blindfolded or what he was doing, especially inside the 10-yard line and goal to go over and over again. So it was a mess for Michigan, but TCU took advantage of it, and then you had wild plays in the second half, including – uh, you know, Michigan having a couple, had, had one touchdown taken off the board, uh, and, and had another pick six late in the game. I mean, so many big plays in that game. But what TCU demonstrated is they have firepower, uh, with Doug the quarterback, uh, with the receiver. They, I mean, they can score. And so now the question becomes for a Georgia team that has had trouble late in the year putting people away and putting a bunch of points on the board. C.J. Stroud and Ohio State threw the ball on them with uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. until he got hurt and the other receivers, he was dicing them up in that game. So that's got to be a real concern that Georgia's defense is not the defense of the 2021 season. It's not the same defense. And you just, I believe TCU is going to be able to hang with them. I don't know that they can win the game, but man, that's a lot of points. For an offense that has repeatedly, and even even a defense that scored and some special team scores too from TCU, they've repeatedly scored a bunch of points. Even in the Big Twelve championship game loss to Kansas State, they scored a bunch. So I I think uh, this is going to be a wild game and probably fairly high scoring here. And I love TCU's chances to
0: hang in.
2: No, I do too. And I'll even go as far as I I know you've said it. You know that well. I don't know if they can win or not. They they could keep it close. Why not? Yeah, Of course they could win this game. Of course they can win this game. There's no doubt. And as we know, in every sport and we talk about, it, at least I talk about it all the time, it is so hard to repeat. It's impossible. It's nearly impossible to repeat in any sport. And we haven't seen it in a long, long time in college football. And we're seeing more and more parity. And TCU is a team that is built a lot like Georgia. TCU has that mentality they got that dog they got that fight in them and they have been counted out numerous times this team tj doesn't flinch and that's what i like about it they don't flinch they've been underdogs in so many games you know this uh, year and especially here you know last week as well too no one gave them a shot i guess the almighty michigan defense and i said it on friday it's like wait a minute i'm not sold on this michigan defense look what tcu has sunny dykes is almost revolutionary when it comes to this. And Kirby Smart, not so much. They've got talent at Georgia. They've got they got talent galore at the running back and wide receiver positions, and they probably don't have those top five or top ten picks like we've seen in the Georgia Bulldogs on offense like we've seen before, and I'm still not that high on Stetson Bennett, but if TCU is going to come out here again and just have this chip on the shoulder and say, hey, man, we're playing with house money here, What's not to say that they can't come out here and shock them again? Because this isn't a bad TCU football team. This isn't no. one of these flukes. This isn't one of these Big Twelve teams that we're used to seeing where they win games, you know, fifty-one to, you know, to forty-five each and every week, or last team you have the ball and and give up fifty points. No, their defense is solid. Their offense have scored forty points uh, in in seven games this season. I mean, they are rock solid. And for people to think that okay, Georgia's going to show up here's I'll tell you here's my take on this TJ if if Georgia is going to win this game and blow TCU out, you know why it's going to be? Because TCU turns the ball over. Because T- C- I think that's it. But if you want to go, you know, uh, exchange for exchange, offense, you know, this and that, th- they-, they can do that. This is not a team that's going to fall behind early and say, Oh, I'm done. Like what we saw, you know, with LSU against Purdue and that kind of stuff. We saw a 15 point spread in that game and it's like, okay, LSU is going to drill press this team. We expected that. This is very similar to that. It's a 13, 12 and a half points spread. It, TCU is not void of offense. They're not void of defense. So again, I think we're going to see one heck of a game, and it wouldn't surprise me if we're talk if if, we're, if we've got purple and white confetti Monday night. Would not surprise me. And for those people that have the cojones to go ahead and go money line on TCU, and there are going to be people out there that fire. <laughs> I don't blame them. And why not? They're a live dog.
1: You're getting you're getting some great value, and you laid out a great case. Look, of course they deserve to be there. You don't accidentally uh, get to the Big 12 title game and accidentally beat Michigan in a semifinal. That was not an accident. And I mean, they, they could be play. undefeated,
2: too. You can make the case yeah. they could be undefeated, just like Georgia.
1: The, the one, one the narrow one loss. Thing, the one thing that concerns you, and they had a couple of turnovers in the Michigan game, and they were able to overcome it because Michigan gave it back. Remember, a, a couple of sixes by McCarthy, one in the first half and then another big one in the second half gave them fourteen huge points immediately. So they they cannot, cannot underlined and circled. They cannot turn the ball over two or three times and expect to win this game because Georgia too good, too many experienced players, great coaching staff. It's going to be a lot of fun, though, to watch this. And it's it's fascinating because the uh the Big Twelve has not been in this position here I don't believe they've been in this position in the championship game at all. I'm trying to recollect no. off the top of my head. Has no. the Big 12 been in this time? They've no. not. No. So this is a great opportunity, odds maker line aside, for them to have a real puncher's chance to win the national title mm-hmm. here under this format. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I keep saying to everybody else, one closing thing on this, enjoy it right now, enjoy it next year when you have a semifinal and a championship game, because this is the end of the college football into the season and what we've been used to, because now what's going to happen is all that will matter is what happens in the four weekends in January. And you're going to have to see a team do this three times uh to win. And some right. teams that have to play the first weekend will have to win four times. So the the regular season is really devalued starting in two years with this playoff. So this is the last time this time in the next and the next playoff of the last two times where we have the true Figure out who the top two teams are and only play three games. We're going to play 11 postseason games starting in two years. From here on out, 11 of them will determine it in January.
2: I'll leave you with this. And I bring this up because you've covered, uh, you've, you've called, uh, this team's games uh, several times this year in, in, in the last couple seasons. Yep. I'd say the best team that we saw the best performance last Saturday was Alabama. Yes, over over the, the two semifinal games, what we saw and what Alabama did to K State, and again, you know, I was banging on that that Alabama drum. They should have been in the college football playoff. They were outstanding. They were the best football team that I saw last Saturday.
1: And let's hear it for Bryce Young and Will Anderson and the culture at Alabama, where they said, "We know we got NFL careers hanging in the balance yep. here, and, and there's a lot of pressure for us to not play because Will Anderson's going to be a top five pick, probably. Bryce Young will probably be a top ten, if not a top five pick, in the upcoming draft." They destroyed Kansas State, and even after Kansas State got the early lead, I agree with you, uh, Nick Saban. When you give him a month to prepare, look out. Uh, and so they they uh, they were tremendous. And look at the SEC as a whole. I mean, I saw Mississippi State in person on Monday here in Tampa. It wasn't pretty, but they beat Illinois. LSU destroyed Purdue. Coaching change, yes. Tennessee beats Clemson. I mean, how much more do you need? Alabama over Kansas State. Georgia wins. Had to hang on. Had to to get a missed field goal, but they win. The top echelon of the SEC flexed. They definitely flexed, especially over this weekend. I just don't know that Georgia has what it takes to wipe TCU out. I think we get a really good game, and we segue that into you and I on Three Dog Thursday talking more about this game, and I want them to watch that because we have more spirited discussion on the Bet US show tomorrow on their YouTube and their social media platforms where we're going over this title game again with TCU getting 12.5 or 13 points, Doctor.
2: All right, go ahead and promote away, my friend. Go ahead.
1: Yep, they can catch it on BetUS. Three Dog Thursday is there, Buccaneers Radio. Uh, we will be ready to go from Atlanta. It's more like a preseason game, and we get ready for the playoffs in two weeks, probably against the Cowboys, so... Again, I always love being with you. We'll, we'll get ready for the Buck playoffs. we we'll get ready for the NFL playoffs. College basketball cranking up, too. I do the college basketball coverage with BetUS. And I always love being on with the doctor. Behave uh, yourself out there in the desert. Happy New Year.
2: Right back at you, brother. All right, take care. T.J. Reeves, our guy in Tampa Bay. Could be the first time that we've not gotten a T.J. Reeves family reference. We got no wife. We got no daughter talk. You know where they're at right now. They're on a cruise. He's alone. He's alone right now. So who knows? But I'm sure that he had to. He had to come back and, uh, you know, get ready for maybe a, a long distance call from the Caribbean or somewhere like that. Yeah, who knows? But uh, anyway, always fun with uh, TJ Reeves. All right, uh, we continue on here in uh, this hour. We'll give you further updates regarding the Damar Hamlin situation as uh, he is still in intensive care, but there are some positive signs. So we will uh, talk about that uh, coming back at you as well, too. And then we've also got some football to talk about as well. So let's um, let's touch on the breaking news here in Las Vegas tonight. And I wanted to get a chance to ask uh, Trevor Manich and TJ Rees, but... Because of time constraints and everything, we weren't able to, to get there with us. But uh, if you have not heard that uh, we know that Barry Odom, the new UNLV head football coach, is still assembling his staff and got a majority of his staff, you know, put together. One of the first hires that Barry made, going back about a week and a half ago, was he hired Bobby Petrino as the offensive coordinator for the Rebels program. Now, let me say this: that. When Barry Odom was announced as head coach, there were a lot of fans were kind of saying, Barry Odom, well, really? Was it, is that a high profile guy? Hey, Barry Odom coached in the SEC. He's a head coach in Missouri. His teams did well, even though he, he was 500. Uh, they went to bowl games. They competed for conference championships. We've had him on the show. Great guy. He's going to be all in with UNLV. He's one of those rare guys that actually came and left a post as a defensive coordinator with the University of Arkansas the last three seasons to accept this challenge. And it is a major challenge to coach at UNLV, whether that is the head coach, offensive, defensive coordinator, whatever it is. So one of the hires that he made immediately was Bobby Petrino. Now, a lot of people were going, whoa, Bobby Petrino. Well, we know Bobby Petrino was a great head coach at Louisville. Uh, Bobby Petrino tried to go to the NFL, and he bolted there and went back to Louisville. Didn't even last a season with the Atlanta Falcons. Bobby Petrino got himself in some problems, got in a motorcycle accident. Female passenger was with him. She was a young assistant with him um, in college Uh, when he was uh, coaching. Uh, so Bobby Petrino has had some issues. So he spent the last three years coaching at Murray State. All right. You know, lower division and teams went pretty well. And all of a sudden Bobby Petrino, because no one really wanted to give him a head coaching job again, um, from, from bailing on programs, getting in trouble, you know, guy that they kind of probably figured, okay, he's doesn't have much left in the tank for a head coach. But Barry Odom reached out to Bobby Petrino two weeks ago and said, how would you like to be the offensive coordinator? Petrino says, yeah. So Petrino's looking at it like, hey, I can go in the shiny new stadium there, the Legion stadium where he plays, Tita Football Complex. I'll go in there and try to tear up the Mountain West Conference. What the heck? They don't have any defenses there. So let's, uh, let, 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 let's go do this and I'll try to build his brand. That's all it was, just to build his brand again. Well, we get news today. That Bobby Petrino was leaving UNLV. Left. Shades of Chris Beard from the basketball side. Remember Chris Beard? All right. When he was hired, he was hired to take the job and, uh, where UNLV could have gone in several other directions, but they went, Chris Beard was coming off, uh, you know, a nice run. Went to, uh, had the UNLV head coaching job for about three weeks. Went to Texas Tech because he said that was his dream job. All right. Then left Texas Tech to take the job at Texas because he said that was his dream job. And I never really fault anybody for trying to better themselves and go to a better job, especially if you have connections there. It's your alma mater, T.J. Altsaburger. Saw him do that. UNLV head basketball coach, right? Came here from South Dakota State. Then, when his alma mater came, or his longtime assistant at Iowa State, he left UNLV to go to Iowa State. All right? Understand that. UNLV in any sport, even basketball right now, it's not a top flight destination. Unfortunately, it's not. But today, we find out that, as my friend Chris Matthews over at News 8 says, I believe Bobby Petrino now has the second shortest coaching stint at UNLV behind Chris Beard. (laughs) There it is. A couple weeks lasted, and he's gone. Now you're asking, why did he leave? Well, what's his pattern? What's he done before? Leaves for a better job, that he thinks is a better job, right? Bob Petrino today announced that he's leaving UNLV to be the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher. So Jimbo Fisher reached out to Petrino and said, hey, how would you like to come here and run my outfits? My job's on the line here. I'm speaking of Jimbo Fisher. My job is on the line because we stunk this year. Remember Texas A&M? They were a top five, top 10 team they are supposed to be. I was back there during the summertime, got the tour of Kyle Field and the facilities and was uh, taken around there by the A&M football staff. You should have heard them, this is the year, this is the year, this is the year. Jimbo Fisher went by his office. It was like, this is really cool. I mean, just picturing, hey, man, 100,000 fans in this stadium. These guys are serious about their football. And they were horrendous. They underachieved this year. Couldn't even make a bowl game. That's how bad Texas A&M was. So Jimbo Fisher says, I've always called place. Jimbo Jimbo Fisher has always called plays, and he says, "I'm, I'm, I'm so hot under the coals right now that I got to go ahead and hire an offensive coordinator." So he reaches out to Bobby Petrino, and Petrino jumps at it, and says, "Kidding me? Yeah, SEC, A&M, work with Jimbo. Yeah, I'm going. I go from an outpost like UNLV to Texas A&M. But the thing about it was, he committed to the job." Signed a contract, and they were going to pay him handsomely for this. So like, Barry Odom has got a nice, pretty pretty good paycheck as well, too, as the head coach, because UNLV has decided to spend a little bit of money. Got some resources. But UNLV gets left on the doorstep again. Now, Rebel fans were pretty high on getting Petrino. They are going, oh, boy, here we go. Hey, maybe Bobby Petrino will be the head coach. There was those kind of rumblings out here a couple weeks ago. Like slow your roll. Be careful what you wish for. Just like the guys that wanted Rick Petino to be the head coach here at UNLV. Be careful what you wish for. Petino never wanted this job here. Said it then, say it now. All right. He'd rather go to Iona. Safe spot for him to close out his coaching career, you know, where he had success before he went to Louisville and Kentucky and in the NBA. Boston Celtics. Went back to Iona. Very safe for him there. Advanced age. Just wants you know be paid well enough and enjoy his time. By Petrino still wants that limelight and he went against his word. You accept a job, you take the job, and then something better comes less than two weeks later? Wow. And you go get it. Okay. That's okay. But again, that's who Bobby Petrino is. People in Atlanta, they were saying, what you accept this job and then you then you leave? Eh, wouldn't have a lot of success there. So he ran for his comfort zone, going back to college. Back to Louisville. All right. Second still, Louisville did not work as well as the first, as we've talked about, you know, before when we talked about the day after when, when he was hired. He we went through his resume and said, uh, going to be interesting see how this works here. So now Barry Odom, here we go, is trying to search for an offensive coordinator again. After trying to install a playbook for the last couple of weeks, and now what's he do? Forget that playbook. It's gone because it was Bobby Petrino's. Barry Odom is a defensive coach, defensive coordinator. He needs an offensive coordinator and a good one. He needs a high-profile one. You know what you should do, Bobby and Bobby, <laughs> you know what you should do Barry. Some people will nod their head and say, yeah. Other people go, "Oh no, I'll tell you what you should do at this point in time. Have Tony Sanchez be your offensive coordinator. I'm dead serious. Tony Sanchez was good for UNLV. And one thing Tony Sanchez did, his offenses were fun to look at. They were fun to watch and they performed. Tony just didn't have the personnel. I mean, it was, it was better than the previous coaching regime. It was. And Tony should have got another year or two. Because Tony Sanchez's team's improved. He's great for the community. You know what Tony Sanchez is doing right now? He's working in New Mexico State in a lot lesser role. I might reach out to Barry Odom and say, Barry, reach out to Tony Sanchez because I guarantee you he would jump at that spot. I don't think there'd be any hard feelings. It's a different regime now, different athletic director. The athletic director that let him go is no longer here. Thank goodness. All right. Eric Harper, success to you, brother. Go get him. But why not? Someone that is familiar with the community, someone who can recruit out here, has the utmost respect from high school coaches, players, after all, it was only one of the most high, successful high school coaches, you know, at Bishop Gorman. I don't know. It was, it was high school, but it was Bishop Gorman. Number one on the land. I think that would be a fantastic move. It'd be great for the community, it'd be great for Tony. And you know what? It'd be good for Barry Odom. And it would be good for UNLV. Because how many open jobs are there right now as, for an offensive coordinator? Everyone has their positions filled. Majority of them. Bobby Petrino leaves today and bolts for Texas A&M for the glitz, the glamour of College Station and the SEC. All right, there's your news today. Uh, Hopefully feel bad for Barry Odom. If the guy turned his back on you after you put faith in giving him a job because no one else was giving Bobby Petrino a job Murray State was like, okay, we'll take a shot with you. Well, yeah. Major D1 college football, Barry Odom reached out, gave him an olive branch, takes out olive branch, says all the right things for two weeks, and now comes back and says, hasta la vista, baby. So going back to first and second, mm-hmm. Beard was with <laughs> UNLV for 20 days. Right. Petrino, Petrino 19. Petrino yeah. 19. Yeah. <laughs> like, is that really? that? Okay. I think it's first and first. Yeah. And the, the beard news was bigger. It was more devastating because he was your head coach. Yeah. He was your head coach. You know, he's in charge of it all. You know, Petrino's offensive corner at, let's be honest, you know, one of the worst college football programs that's happening right now. So it's like, but still no excuse, really. And again, yes, on one side, you say, okay, you understand, you let a guy go better himself. I mean, everybody would have done it. I mean, for the most part. But I guess this gets kind of circled or highlighted because there's character questions with Bobby Petrino and everything that he's gone through and went through in the past in his own doing. He did it to himself. Good riddance, Bobby Petrino. Don't have to see you around here. Bob Patru didn't even have a press conference, did he? No one really got the chance to see him, but that's that's okay. He left today to go to Texas A and M. All right, we come back. We'll uh, continue to update you on the uh, Demar Hamlin situation. And that we'll talk about the media coverage regarding this as well.
1: Get wrecked with the doctor, TC Martin.
0: Browns, 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 Bill, Browns, Bill.
2: Yes, 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 yes. Come on by. See us at the Westgate on Friday, our Friday home, 2 to 4 p.m. Marco D'Angelo will be joining me. Maybe Jay Schrader might be showing up in a walker. I'm telling you, if Jay Schrader comes to the show on Friday, that's a player right there. That's a guy. Just had knee surgery yesterday. I don't know. You know? I talked about. it. I said, "Hey, you know, you want to try to come on by? Come on. He might want to give it a go because he thinks he's on fire now with his best bets." Hey, we've been hitting our best bets pretty good. He knows he can call in, right? Yeah, like no, or, no, we, don't, you know. we, don't, we don't give that option. There, you there is. You don't give that well, option. Call from a hospital. Wait, wait. You
4: don't give that option. What about <laughs> yeah. Trevor?
2: Yeah. Well, he he's working at the time. He's in ESPN. Okay. Yeah. And I would yeah, consider this working as yeah, like PT. Yeah, we could do that. We could do that. All right. I just, you know, I'm just saying the guy offered. He goes, Hey, I might, you know, if I'm feeling up to it, I might roll down there, literally rolling down there in a walker. That's okay. So, uh, no, Jay's doing well after his uh, knee surgery uh, yesterday. So keep on, brother. Appreciate that. Appreciate to him. So, uh, yes, Westgate on Friday, Jay Cornegay, John Murray look forward to that and of course our best bet segment as well. All right, so been obviously talking a lot about Bills safety DeMar Hamlin and his uh medical update still in ICU we did get uh, some positive news today what we're hearing again very tight-lipped around there but we did hear from Jordan Rooney uh DeMar Hamlin's friend and business partner and uh Jordan Rooney said earlier today that the uh there's improvement and he had to be very careful what he was saying. But uh, improvement. There were some positive signs that took place overnight. As Tamar Hamlin is still in sedation. But the they're trying to get him to breathe on his own. Take him off the ventilator. We have uh, heard that the was re- relying 100% on the ventilator. Now it's down to 50%. So... They're in the process of weaning him, trying to wean him off the ventilator so he can breathe on his own. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, he can be on to a speedy recovery. But again, remember we talked about the last couple of days, survival rate for this is anywhere between 25 and 40%. So not great odds that are in your favor, but he's 24 years old. He's got a lot of prayers behind him as well, too. And, uh, everyone in the NFL is rooting for him. And I think everybody outside of football is rooting for him as well, too. Uh, just, uh, a travesty in what he had to go through and suffer. And, uh, you know, Monday night. So again, um, he is in intensive care, still listed in critical condition at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Now, as you know, in the media, we uh, talked a little bit about that yesterday about ESPN's coverage, you know, during Monday Night Football. I just thought that they really fell below the bar as far as their coverage. It was their game, um, left a lot to be desired as far as people watching the game, um, not being updated um, on, th- you know, the condition obviously of DeMar Hammond. We understand that, but they really froze when Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were throwing it to commercials because they didn't know what to say, admittedly didn't know what to say, threw it back to the studio, and you have Susie Kohlberg, who was anchoring. Uh, Susie Kohlberg and Booger McFarlane and Adam Schefter as a team anchoring in the studio for a football game with football content, on the field content, isn't that great of a, of a team there? But then now when you throw in the emergency factor, uh, they're like deers in the headlights. And I know they were not anticipating that, but as ESPN, and that is your own game, you have access to so many different people that you could reach out to. And try to do investigative reporting and, and trying to get some thoughts. You didn't hear from any doctors. You didn't hear from anything. It got to be so bad. And I said this in yesterday's show. It re- bears repeating. I flipped to CNN because I was thinking, this is terrible what I'm watching. They went to six minutes of straight commercials because they didn't know how to handle the situation back there. They were, when you have a situation like this, that's your game on your network. You dive into it. You attack it. You. You describe what's happening and tell your viewers. Everyone is tuned into your network. It's the only one that has the game. And you fell short in trying to give them any information at all. Lisa Salters, your sideline reporter, is there. We got some stuff from her, but bailing out, going to commercials? Terrible. So I flipped to CNN saying like, well, is this going to be on CNN? Is this that big of a story? Boom, it was. CNN had Dr. Sanjay Goop gone. They had Wolf Blitzer as a diehard Bills fan. Anderson Cooper was hosting. You had former players on. You had Bob Costas was on. Even though Bob Costas really couldn't you know, add too much, and he even said that himself, okay? But when you have doctors and you have medical personnel and you had people on site there in Cincinnati, they were doing the job that ESPN should have done. I understand this is what CNN does because they're used to emergency situations, whether it's hurricanes or whether it's earthquakes or whether it's, you know, mass killings and shootings. And unfortunately, but ESPN, I don't know what they were doing. You have to be prepared for situations like that. And let's hear from doctors. Let's, you know, somebody that maybe is. You can, can to relate and deliver to the audience what is happening. That was pretty sad. Then you have the talking heads the next day. All right. Much has been made about Bart Scott, former player for the Ravens, uh, was on ESPN, was interviewed by Stephen A. Smith. Well, Bart Scott said this yesterday. We'll let you hear what he said and tell you what the response has been like.
0: Well, right, right before the tackle, he lowers his helmet and he kind of throws his body into his chest. He's standing up because he's thinking he's got to take ch- chase T. Higgins at an angle to make a tackle. So he didn't expect T. Higgins to launch his body back into him. You know, it's one of those things. A lot of times you see it as a linebacker uh, un- unblocked, you know, un- un- in- in- gated, um running back comes through the hole and he knows that contact's coming, so he lowers his helmet and you can't get underneath him, so he's able to get into you and your chest is exposed. So they, they, they've taken that out of the game, but they don't really regulate it as much as possible. I, I, I expect the league will be a lot more vigilant when it comes to that and using that penalty.
2: All right. There are media types that are screaming for Bart Scott to lose his job. What is he saying? What is this all about? Bart Scott played the game. All right, He was in many violent collision tackles, and what he said is accurate. That T. Higgins did do that. And I've said it time and time this was not your garden variety tackle. It was that, that DeMar Hamlin went backwards because T. Higgins was trying to gain some extra yardage. He didn't do anything violently. It's not his fault. And people are saying, oh, is it T. Higgins' fault? Absolutely not. And for Bart Higgins and for Bart Scott, just to say that what, tell you what transpired here. He's not saying it's T. Higgins' fault. He's not saying that. But for people to say that Bart Scott should, you know, make an apology or Bart Scott should lose his job that he's being insensitive, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. That's, that's Again, that's people that are not listening to actually what he's saying. When you listen to that clip, where, anywhere, does it say that T. Higgins did something intentional. It's his fault. Nothing. Nothing. Wrong place. Wrong time. Wrong hit to the wrong part of the body with the way the heart rhythm was going. That's all. That's what doctors have said. T. Higgins is not responsible. Burt Scott is just talking about what actually happened. And then the other story is Skip Bayless. Now, Skip Bayless obviously is an easy target. Skip Bayless has been a longtime newspaper reporter. I remember Skip way back in the day. We are both in Northern California. San Jose Mercury News worked his way into television spots with ESPN. Of course, worked his way into these, you know, multi-million dollar gigs with ESPN and then now with Fox Sports, you know, one and doing the show with Shannon Sharp. Skip Bayless made tweets during the course of this game and when it was happening. Skip Bayless is being ripped for this tweet. No doubt the NFL is considering postponing the rest of this game, but how? This late in the season, a game of this magnitude is crucial to the regular season outcome, which suddenly seems so irrelevant. Okay, so what Skip Bayless is saying here is that NFL is going to try to need to reschedule this game. And at this point in time, they were thinking that the NFL was trying to, to figure a a time when, you know, if they were going to continue the game, were they not like we explained earlier and, and yesterday that a lot of this was, was going on behind closed doors. All right. Skip Bayless coming across as insensitive. Granted, definitely comes across that way. Skip Bayless also sent this out. I've seen so many horrific injuries suffered in football fields, yet never have I seen a reaction like this. In every other situation I witnessed or covered, the game always sent, went on fairly quickly. The attitude was, hey, that's football. For these players, this was different. Okay. So he's saying both sides of the thing, as Trevor Madden said, former player. Yeah. You're programmed and basically compartmentalizing saying, okay, we got, we have to move on here. All right. So another tweet. Not exactly sure what happened to DeMar Hamlin. Players on both teams are shaking. Ambulance out on the field. CPR administered. Can't remember play being stopped for this length of time. Just said a prayer for him and his family. Okay. Trying to go both sides again. Here's the problem. This is what the problem is. Skip Bayless made what three tweets. In a matter of five to ten minutes. I don't have the time frame of his tweets, but there are within this now. Here's what the problem is. People want to tweet too damn much because they want to be breaking news. Skip Bayless, you're not a breaking news reporter. You got a cushy TV gig right now where you argue with Shannon Sharp or where you used to argue with Stephen A. Smith. That's what you do now. And a lot of this is conjecture its opinion but a lot of this is made for tv all right and should skip bayless be ripped sure to a certain degree okay but here's the problem skip you put yourself in this position because you tweet too damn much these guys that want to tweet during a game you know tweet 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 how many tweets did i put out during this Zero. Because you know what you should be doing? should be watching the game. Don't put yourself out there for saying something stupid that you're going to regret. And then all this crap about canceled culture right now. Oh, he's canceled. Cancel Bart uh, Scott. Cancel this and that. Forget all that nonsense. Who is it that made the resolution? Hey, I'm going to cut back on social media this year. Because social media gets you in trouble. Skip Bayless should adhere to that. Why do people want to tweet so damn much? Why do they want to tweet an opinion because they're watching the game? Just watch the game. If you got something you really want to say, say it afterwards. But don't act like the, you're breaking news here. We're all watching the same thing unfold. It's very, very unfortunate. And by tweeting, all right, without thinking and tweeting irresponsibly and tweeting at the moment it's happening, okay, you're going to be criticized. All right, It's not just Skip Bayless, but it's anybody and everybody who wants to fire off tweets. I want to be the first to fire off a tweet. It's ridiculous. And there are people in our industry that think that that is a good thing. They're going to increase their followers. Well, we've seen guys that drop tweets. Grant Napier in Sacramento dropping a tweet about all lives matter. Boom, gone, fired by the Kings. DeMarcus Cousins got on that train. Boom. Because you don't think... You don't need to tweet. You don't need to tweet. People think they need to tweet. They don't. No one cares. Majority of people do not care what people say in the media. They don't care. That goes with myself as well, too. They don't care. We're here to inform. We're here to entertain. That's what we're here for. Don't take yourself too seriously. And that's what Skip Bayless did. Plain and simple. Yeah. And now he's apologizing all the stuff. But you're tweeting too much. That's where the problem lies. Here's audio from Shannon Sharp. He didn't show up to work, okay, yesterday. Skip Bayless gave a goofy apology. Okay, because he was he was in you know so deep now. So now here's Shannon Sharp as he comes on their show today.
0: Good morning, yes. Morning. Uh, There's been a lot of speculation of why I wasn't on air yesterday and I won't get into speculation or conjecture innuendo, but I will say this in watching that game on Monday night, uh, what happened to DeMar Hamlin struck me a little different, um, as a brotherhood in the NFL, when injuries happen, when we know injuries are a part of the game, I've seen guys suffer ACLs and Achilles tear, but I've never seen anybody have to be revived and fight for their life on the field. So it struck me a little differently because I remember seeing my brother paralyzed on the field temporarily and he was able to regain focus. Um, Skip tweeted something and although I disagree with the tweet, uh, and, and uh, hopefully, uh, Skip would take it down. But I didn't want it. Well, time out, time out. I'm not going to take it down because I stand by what I tweeted. Skip, let me finish. All right, okay. Go ahead. No, you go. Go ahead, let's go, Jen. Okay. I mean, I cannot even get through a monologue without you interrupting okay. me. You well, could have came back skip. Well, I thought, Skip just let I, 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 know I was going to bring say, no, up. No, this. I was just going to say, skip, I didn't want to yesterday to bit into a situation where Demar Hamlin was the issue. We should have been talking about him and not get into okay. your not get into your t- uh, your tweet. That's what I was going to do. But you can't even let me finish my opening monologue without you interrupting.
3: Okay. I was under the impression you weren't going to bring this up because nobody here had a problem with no, that tweet.
0: No, clearly the bosses wanted you to offer explanations. So clearly. No, they did problem. not have. The, nobody. Let's go, went. Jen. Thoughts and prayers remain with DeMar Hamlin. That's Gentleman, where the focus should have been and continues. not on a football game. Yes, let's go, Jen. Thank you. As, as he continues his fight. All right, gentlemen, let's jump into our first.
2: All right, so there's uh, from their show, you know, earlier today. <laughs> What's the show? Uninterrupted. Interrupted. Un, what? Uh, what is it? On dispute. On un, John. Un, uninterrupted. Undisputed, something. Something, undisputed, something like undisputed. that. Undisputed. There you go. Right. Yeah. Right. I think something. On Fox Sports One. That doesn't get great ratings, by the way. But that's neither here nor there. Okay. And a lot of people say, okay, well, it's made for TV show, you know, just like we saw with. Stephen A. Smith, you know, before, just again. (sighs) Don't tweet so much. How's that? Stand by my tweet. Don't take it down. This and that. Make yourself more important than you really are. All right. Hopefully, enjoyed our coverage or followed our coverage of the DeMar Hamlin situation. We'll continue to update that as the week progresses. Hopefully, we get some better news tomorrow, but better news today than we had yesterday. Appreciate Trevor Maddich for joining us. T.J. Reeves as well. We will continue on uh, with that tomorrow. Scott Spritzer will join us. We start handicapping week 18 of the NFL. And, of course, more coverage of the National Championship college football game on Monday night. You miss any part of the show, go to the website, check it all out. Wherever you get your podcast, go check it out, T.C. Martin Show. And, of course, T.C. Martinshow.com. For now, Chuck. T.C. saying so long. We're back at it again tomorrow. Have yourself a great evening. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here at 2.